Hello, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you are new with us, possibly new on campus, maybe new joining us online, today we are ending a series that we've been in over the past few weeks together called Trent Has Issues. <laughs> right, right? We've, we've learned a whole lot about my issues. And so in honor of that, I thought I'd wear my I Have Issues t-shirt one last time. And uh, you would be surprised at how many of you have wanted to buy this t-shirt. There have been so many of you who have said, like, where can I find that T-shirt? And uh, I thought I'd start a side business because I think maybe we could raise money for our new building uh, if I just sold these kind of T-shirts. So uh, if you're new, the issue's not, Trent has issues or that, that we're looking at. The, the series that we're in is issues, period, because all of us have issues. I have issues, you have issues, everybody you know has issues. And what we're trying to do in this series is learn how to effectively deal with our issues in a way that will honor God and will ultimately help us. So we've been looking at five different steps for us to learn how to do that. We've looked at four so far, and today we're going to look at the fifth. So before we get into those steps, anybody want to hear some more of my issues? Anybody? Okay. Uh, I don't know that you've been excited about other things in our church family, but you are so excited to hear about my issues. So let me tell you about a few more of my issues. While preparing for this message several weeks ago, I pulled out a book that I read several years ago. And here's the book that I read several years ago. It's called Take Your Life Back. It's by Stephen Arterburn and David Stoop. Now, it's interesting where I found this book. So several years ago, I was wrestling through some issues and I was buying gas at a gas station and I saw this book uh, in a bookcase with other books. And I know these authors, these are Christian authors. And I saw that book and I thought, well, that's something that I need in my life. I've got some issues I need to deal with. I would love to take my life back. So I grabbed that book and I started reading that book and trying to apply some of the principles that I was learning from that. And I have recommended this book to all kinds of people over the past two years. If you feel like your life's a little bit out of control, you'd like to get a little bit more control of your life, I recommend you get this book. And you read it and you apply some of the principles that it gives us. Now, as I was flipping through that book, kind of reminding myself of some of the, the things I'd learned there, I found a half sheet of paper that I had written out, and at the top of it, I had entitled it, My Issues. And I started listing some of my issues. So here are some of the issues that I wrote on that paper. Issue number one, I wrote two years ago, I am a people pleaser who works to live up to other people's expectations, sometimes more than God's. That's an issue. Issue number two. I'm a perfectionist who wants to do everything perfectly. I want to be the perfect pastor, perfect husband, perfect father, perfect leader. If I can't do that, I feel like a failure. That's another problem. Issue number three. I want to help everyone who has a need. But sometimes when I help everyone, I neglect my family and I neglect myself in the process. It's another issue. Issue number four. At the time, I said, I am tired from leading in a hate-filled, divided world. So I'm curious, can anybody identify with any of those issues? Anybody? Okay, a number of us. 
Now, most of those issues for me, they aren't new. I've wrestled with those issues for years in my life. But the interesting thing that happened several years ago was I started to label them. I started to give them a name. And I started to admit, you know what, I've got some issues. And here's what my issues are. And I started to write those things down and get some clarity on that. And I began the process over the past two years of working on some of those issues. And guess what? I am still working on those issues. So I tell you that to tell you that at the end of today, at the end of our service, you're going to walk out and you might just wonder, like, why aren't my issues all gone? Like, I learned the five steps. Your issues aren't going to disappear tomorrow. Uh, Hopefully, tomorrow you'll just recognize you have some more tools that'll help you address some of the issues in your life. So keep working on those tools, keep applying those tools. And the thing that we're going to learn today, I think can actually help us significantly as we are doing those things together. So let me recap what we've learned so far. So in this series, we've learned to deal with our issues. Number one, we have to admit our issues. If we don't admit our issues, we can't address our issues. This is the first and biggest step out of all five. And I think we all know people who are struggling with an issue simply because they won't admit it. And sometimes that's us. So we have to admit our issues in order to deal with our issues. Step number two, we have to stop managing our issues. If you're new with us, what I mean by that is we have to stop doing things like denying our issues or blaming other people for our issues or playing the victim around our issues or distracting ourselves from our issues or escaping from our issues or self-medicating around our issues. We do all kinds of weird things in an attempt to manage our issues, and that just keeps us stuck in our issues. Why? Because we are poor managers. So we have to admit that we have issues, we have to stop managing our issues, and then we have to step towards our issues and ask God for help. So that was step number two. Step number three, to deal with our issues, we have to get help for our issues. You know, if our issues were small enough that we could deal with them all by ourselves, they wouldn't be issues. But because we struggle with them and they stay in our lives and we continue to struggle with them, we often need to reach beyond ourselves and get help from someone else. Sometimes that's a family member. Sometimes that's a friend. Sometimes that's a counselor. Sometimes that's a pastor. Sometimes that's a financial advisor. We often need to reach out and get help if we're going to effectively deal with our issues. And then last week we learned to deal with their issues, we need to help other people with their issues. There's something powerful about helping someone else deal with their issues that actually helps us deal with our issues. So when I'm helping someone else deal with their issues, I'm often encouraging them about how God could work in their lives, in their situation to help them overcome that issue. And guess what God does when I tell them that? He says, Trent, that applies to you as well. Like you can apply the exact same stuff that you're encouraging those people to apply to their lives. So something powerful about helping other people that actually helps us. Now, step number five. Before we get to that, I have to warn you about this step, okay? So I think this is the step that ties everything else together, but this step involves the S word. It's not the S word you're thinking about. It's a different S word. I think it's worse, okay? So here's step number five. To deal with our issues, we need to, what's that word? Surrender. Anybody like to surrender? No? Anybody? A few people? No? Um, 
if you raise your hand, you're probably lying and you have a deception issue. I'm, I'm not sure. Surrender is not a popular concept. Uh, it goes against everything we know about successful living. Uh, no one wants to surrender. I mean, uh, who are the people that surrender in life? Losers. Losers surrender. So do we surrender? Absolutely not. Even if I've lost at something, I'm not going to surrender because that would admit failure. So I will you know, hold on to my deception and think I'm still winning in some way. And that's strange. But if we're truly going to deal with our issues, we need to learn how to surrender. So I think a problem with this whole concept of surrender is maybe our definition. Maybe we have the wrong definition of surrender. Maybe we don't really understand what surrender means in the context of a relationship with God. So I want you to think about how you would define surrender for a few minutes. And I'm going to give you a dictionary definition of the word surrender. And then we're going to try to pull that apart a little bit. So surrender can be defined as to cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. There's another S word. I'm not sure which one's worse, surrender or submit. Both of them are pretty horrible in my mind. But if, if we're going to learn how to really deal with our issues, we're going to have to surrender some things. So let's explore that a little bit. So the first thing I think we need to surrender from that definition is this. We need to stop resisting the steps that can help us overcome our issues. We actually have to stop our resistance to that. If we constantly fight against the things that can help us, we will stay stuck in our issues. And we can even look like we're doing the right things and do those things with the wrong motives and stay stuck. There was a group of people around Jesus in his day that were really good at doing the right things externally, but the wrong things internally, and they stayed stuck in their issues. Now, those people were the religious leaders in Jesus' day. If you're not familiar with them, there were two primary religious groups in Jesus' day. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees disagreed with each other on multiple things except for their hatred for Jesus. They joined together in their hatred for Jesus and were able to get Jesus crucified. But they were both, both sets of those, those groups were really good at doing the right things, at checking off the boxes. Uh, they were good at following the rules. And they took God's commandments found in scripture, and they came up with 613 rules for following God. Um, anybody think you might struggle with 613 rules? Like, I, I, I struggle with the Ten Commandments. I struggle with the two commandments that Jesus gave us in the, in the great commandment, love God and love people. I struggle with both of those on a daily basis. I don't know how anybody keeps up with 613 rules for following God. But these religious leaders thought that if they just checked off the boxes, if they just followed the rules, they would stay in a right relationship with God and they would be okay and they wouldn't have any issues. But listen to what Jesus said about them in Matthew 23. Speaking to a large crowd of people, he said in verse two, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. 
And the law of Moses were the, the steps or the, the rules uh, or the guidelines for how to have a right relationship with God. So that, that's, that's what those were. So they were the official interpreters of that. In verse three, Jesus said, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. And then in that passage, Jesus continues on and he starts calling these religious leaders names. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind guides. He calls them fools. He calls them snakes and he calls them murderers. Anybody ever wonder why the religious leaders didn't like Jesus? It's because Jesus saw past all of their external behavior. He could see into their hearts. He knew there was large amounts of hypocrisy going on in their world. They were just checking off boxes. They were doing right external things, but they had the wrong internal motives. And the same thing can happen with us. We can do all the right steps and not be changed. We can admit that we have issues and not really work on our issues. We can stop managing our issues and find other ways to manage our issues. We can get help for our issues and not really use the help that we are given. We can even help others and not apply the help that we give to them. It is so easy to do the right thing, at least on the outside. It's so easy to just check off boxes and not be really changed on the inside. The Pharisees were great at that. There's another group of people in existence today that are really good at that. Can anybody guess who that group might be? Um, you're going to have to say it with words out loud. I can't read anybody's minds. Church people, politicians. Okay, we could uh, throw a whole bunch of people in that category. All of us, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to zero in on uh, Christ followers for just a second. You know the group that's really good at acting just like Pharisees are religious leaders today? Pastors and priests. As a pastor, I know many things about growing spiritually. And I can help people all day long read the Bible and apply it to their lives. I can lead, I can pray, I can guide, I can go on mission trips, I can serve, and I cannot have that stuff transform my heart. I can make my life so much about helping other people grow that I neglect growing myself. Do you know how many pastors struggle with that? Many of them. I meet with pastors on a regular basis. One of the conversations that we have is, hey, are you applying the same stuff you're teaching? Sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes I can be just like a Pharisee if I'm not really careful. I think we all have to be careful about that. So Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, this is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the longest sermon that we have of Jesus. And he said to a large crowd that had gathered around him, he said this, he said, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure the people listening to Jesus thought, well, who can enter heaven then? None of us can have righteousness that's better than the religious leaders. They're perfect at following God's rules. Nobody can be better than they are. The problem was their righteousness was external. It was just about behavior. It didn't affect their lives. It didn't affect their hearts. It wasn't internal. It was just external. And again, if, if we're not careful, 
We can focus on external things as opposed to internal transformation that God is after. God's after our hearts. And when God has our hearts, it changes our behavior. It changes how we think. It changes how we interact with people. If God doesn't get our hearts, we can just focus on behavior thinking we are right in a right relationship with God and we're fooling ourselves. So we can be just like the Pharisees as well. So the first thing that we need to surrender is our resistance to really dealing with our issues. So let me ask you this. Are you resisting the steps that can help you break free from your issues? Are you resisting the steps. You have to be honest with yourself. I mean, you may ask somebody else and they say, no, I think you're doing really well. And they're just judging external behavior. You have to be honest. Is there anything you're resisting in your relationship with God or the steps that we've talked about that can help you deal with your issues that you need to surrender your resistance to that? That's the first thing we need to surrender to. The next thing we need to surrender to to effectively deal with our issues is our lives to the authority of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Again, the definition of surrender involves submitting to the authority of someone else. And in the definition that we looked at, it involves surrendering to the authority of an opponent or an enemy, but Jesus is neither of those things. Jesus is for us, and he's a God who loves us, and he's the God that we should surrender to even if we don't believe in God. God is the only one that makes true healing and restoration possible, even if we don't believe in him. So I truly believe we need to surrender our hearts to him as our Lord and Savior. I'm gonna borrow from the 12 steps, or at least three of the 12 steps of recovery for just a few minutes to help us understand this concept that I'm talking about here. So the original 12 steps came from the Bible. They're basic discipleship principles that all of us need to apply to our lives in order to effectively deal with our issues and grow in our relationship with God. So I want you to listen to the first three steps of the 12 steps of recovery. So step number one says, I admit that I am powerless over my addiction and my life has become unmanageable. These are the two steps that we've talked about in this series so far. So I have to admit that I have a problem. I have to admit that issue. And then I have to admit that my life has become unmanageable. So again, that's step number two. We talked about in in this series. We got to stop managing our issues because we are poor managers. So we have to label them and admit that we have that issue. We actually have to step towards that issue. Um, Step number two of the 12 steps says, I came to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. So that's where we said in week number two, instead of managing our issues, we have to label our issues, step towards those issues, and then ask God for help with those issues. Again, he is the one that can help us. There is a power greater than we are. And that power we're talking about is the creator of the universe, a divine being that can help us deal with our issues. We need to step towards him. Uh, Step three of the 12 steps of recovery says, I made a decision to turn my will and life over to the care of God as I understand him. Uh, Another way you can say that is I surrendered my heart, my life to Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Now, recovery programs have softened the language in step number three to keep from excluding people without faith. 
That's why they encourage people to uh, surrender to a God that they can understand. So, uh, for example, if somebody thinks, you know what, like, I think my dog could help me deal with my issues, that person might be encouraged in that context to surrender their life and their will over to their dog that can help them deal with their issues. And I get the concept because if something will actually help us deal with our issues, it doesn't matter as much what that thing is. But let me suggest we should surrender to God as he reveals himself in scripture, not to a God that we can fully understand. If I can understand God completely, we're in trouble. We're in trouble because my mind can only go so far. Again, we need to understand God for how he reveals himself in scripture, and he is a power bigger and greater than anything we could ever understand all by ourselves. So thankfully, through scripture, God reveals himself to us all throughout scripture so that we can know how to interact with him. So I want to walk through seven ways that God reveals himself in scripture. So the first way is this. God reveals himself as a loving God. And 1 John 4, 16 says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. So scripture says, it's not that God has love. It's that God is love. So if you were to you know, open the a biblical dictionary and look up the definition of love, you would see God there. God is love. And he has immense love for you. And he pours out that love on us on a daily basis. And then we come to the most famous Bible verse of all time. Listen to how Jesus reveals God the Father to us. In John 3, 16, he says, for God so loved the world. And I love how Jesus said this, because you can replace the world with your name. I can say, for God so loved Trent, or for God so loved my wife, Tammy, or for God so loved my kids, for God so loved you, for God so loved that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You got to understand how valuable you are to God. You are so valuable, God sent his son, his beloved son, to come to this earth, take your sin, take my sin on his shoulders, and die on a cross through a horrible death so that it could be possible for us to have eternal life and a relationship with him that would last forever. You're that valuable to God. And I hope you understand that today. The second way that God reveals himself in scripture is as a caring God. The apostle Peter tells us this in, in 1 Peter 5, verse six and seven, he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. So many people in our world do not believe this verse. So many people in our world don't think God cares about them they think that he's too busy managing other things around the world. They don't think that God's a personal God who cares for them personally and their issues. The reality is God cares about you. God knows your issues. He cares about your issues. He cares about what's happening in your life. And he wants you to bring those issues to him so he can help you effectively deal with those issues. God cares very much about you. Third way that God reveals himself 
This is kind of like a three-for-one deal. God reveals himself as forgiving, as gracious, and as merciful. So listen to what Nehemiah says about God. He says, you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love. So God is very forgiving. He forgives our sins. He's gracious and merciful to us as we struggle with our issues. He's rich in unfailing love and wants to help us overcome our issues. He's very forgiving, very gracious, very merciful. That's the kind of God that we should surrender to. Fourth way that God reveals himself is as a personal God. All the verses we've looked at so far describe him very personally, but listen to what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said about Jesus, and this is hundreds of years before Jesus came to planet Earth. He said this in Isaiah 7, 14, he said, the virgin will conceive a child. He was talking about Mary. So the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So over 2,000 years ago, Jesus left the splendor of heaven, wrapped himself in, in human skin, and came to planet Earth to be a personal God for you and for me so that he could personally be with us and help us deal with whatever issues that we are facing. So God is very personal. The fifth way that God reveals himself, not only does he reveal himself as a powerful God, we see that all throughout scripture, but as an empowering God. In Romans 8, Verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, the Spirit of God, meaning the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. He's speaking to those who are Christ followers. So if you are a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your heart, in your life. He says, as, uh, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So think about this. If the Spirit of God has enough power to raise Jesus from the dead, do you think that same Spirit has enough power to help you deal with your issues? I hope we all say yes. But sometimes we think not. Sometimes we think, my issues are so big, like there's no way that God can help me with my issues. And in those moments, like we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to understand we have access to the Holy Spirit who is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. So that means we have access to more power than we could ever use to deal with the issues that we face in our lives. We just have to surrender to the Holy Spirit's power in our lives and how he wants to work in our lives. Then in 2 Peter 1, 3, the apostle Peter says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So again, if you're a Christ follower or if you become a Christ follower, you have access to everything that you need to live the life that God wants you to live. God empowers us to forgive others. He empowers us to forgive ourselves, to battle our pride, to overcome our jealousy, to calm our anxious hearts, to overcome temptation, to reach out to people for help, to humble ourselves and serve other people in their times of need. God is a very empowering God. Sixth way that God reveals himself is as a pursuing God. 
my men's group has just finished reading most of the Old Testament part of the Bible. We've just started the New Testament part of the Bible. But one of the things that we've seen in the Old Testament part of the Bible as we started in Genesis and made our way into the minor prophets, we've seen that God continually pursues his people over and over and over and over again. And if you don't understand the context of that and then you just open up the Bible in the Old Testament and read one story in the Bible, you may go like, wow, God is angry. What's up with him? Like he needs a timeout or something. Like if you step in and just read one part of the story, you you miss so much of the story. The Old Testament tells us over and over and over again, God pursuing his people. And here's kind of their pattern. God would pursue pursue the people of Israel. They would have a closer relationship with God for a short time. Then they would get proud and arrogant and think that they could live life all by themselves without God's help. And then they would turn away from God, rebel against him, and they would continue to turn away. God would pursue them. They would turn away. God would pursue them. They would get to the spot where they couldn't manage their issues any longer, and God was their only hope. And they would say, God, would you help us? And he would say, yes, I will help you. And he would step in and help them, and they would have a short wonderful season with God until they got proud again and arrogant and they would start rebelling against God again. You know, when I read the Old Testament, I find myself in in that story all the time because I struggle with the same thing. There are times I have a great relationship with God and then there are moments I get proud and arrogant and I think it's about me and I think I can manage most of my life and then I start rebelling against God, stepping away from him, thinking, oh, I can continue to manage this until I get to a spot where I'm like, you know what? Like I've like made a train wreck out of my life and God, will you help me? And he says, yes, I will help you. I'll pursue you. I'll take you back. Anybody else struggle with that kind of weird cycle in your life? Yeah, uh, I think many of us do. So God is a very loving and pursuing God. And he's pursuing you today, whether you're pursuing him or not, whether you're a Christ follower or not, God is pursuing you. Seventh way that God reveals himself in scripture is as a patient God. So listen to what the apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. He says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. So what he's saying here, this promise that he's talking about is is Christ promised to come back. So Jesus told his disciples, listen, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. When that place is ready, I'm going to come back and take you home to be with me forever. So Peter's saying like, he's not being slow about that. Uh, No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent, wants everyone to surrender their heart to him as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, as our world kind of spins out of control and it's so hate-filled and so divisive, there are many Christ followers, and I have prayed this prayer as well. Maybe you've prayed this prayer. We have prayed, Jesus, will you come back today Like our world is so weird, it's so divisive, it's so hurtful. Jesus, would you hurry up and come back because like I don't know if I can take any more of this weird world. But think about this in the context of what we've just read. Jesus is patiently waiting for more people to put their faith and trust in him as their personal Lord and Savior. And one day there will be a last person who makes that decision. There will be a last person who surrenders their heart, bends their knee before him and says, Jesus, I need you. Can you imagine what that person is going to feel like when they step into God's presence and knew that he waited for them 
that they were the last person, I think they will be eternally grateful. I think they will say over and over again, God, thank you for being patient and waiting for me to get to the end of myself so that I could bend my heart, bend my knee to you, and I could spend eternity with you again. I think there's going to be one last person. Scripture says right now that Jesus is seated beside his heavenly father on his throne. He's seated on that throne, and he's waiting till his heavenly father says, it's time. And when it's time, he's going to stand up. That last person will have received him, and he's going to step forward and call us home to be with him. Again, I think that's worth waiting on. I think it's worth praying for more people to put their faith and trust in Jesus. The reality is that last person could be your family member. It could be your friend. It could be your coworker. It could be your neighbor. It could be you. You could be the last person that puts your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus before, like you need to understand he's waiting on you. He's patient. He's patiently waiting for you to, to surrender your heart to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. The least that we can do is surrender our hearts to him. The way that we surrender our lives to God is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for us. Again, Jesus came to planet Earth he took all of our sins on his shoulders as if he committed those sins. He died in our place so that we can have eternal life. And we need to believe that. We need to believe Jesus was who he said he was and did what scripture says he did so that we can have an eternal relationship with God that will last forever. Now, I think we start a relationship with God through what's called prayer. It's just a conversation with God. And if you're new to that whole concept, you might think, well, that's just kind of intimidating. Like, how do you even talk to God? How do you begin a conversation with God like that? Well, I think there's a simple way to do that. It's what I call the ABC prayer of salvation. So let me walk you through this, and let me be clear about some things on the other side of that. So I think the ABC prayer of salvation looks like this. I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So I have to admit I have a problem. What's my problem? I'm a sinner. You know, Jesus came as a savior for sinners. If you don't think you've sinned, then you don't need Jesus because he came as a savior to save people who know they are sinners. So we have to admit, like, that's me, Jesus. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And then we have to believe that Jesus is that savior who died so we can live. And then we have to ask him to come into our lives as our personal Lord and savior. Again, I think starting a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, is this simple. It's this simple. But let me be very clear. So if you've like dozed off for a minute, please like tune back in. Okay? This is super important. There is a huge difference between saying a prayer like that and believing a prayer like that. Huge difference. You can say that ABC prayer of salvation every day your entire life and it mean nothing for you for all of eternity. And when you stand before God and he asks you the question, why should I let you into my heaven? We can't say, well, because I prayed a prayer like every day for my entire life. Like, doesn't that count for anything? God's answer is no. That's external behavior. That's checking off boxes. It's not about saying words. It's about believing what you're praying. 
It's about believing that you are a sinner. It's about believing that Jesus is your savior. And it's about asking him into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. So again, there's a huge difference between saying a prayer and believing that prayer. If you've never made that decision before, I hope that you'll make that decision today. I hope you'll surrender your heart to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So here's my closing question for you. What do you need to surrender to God today? So what do you need to surrender to him today? For some of us, maybe that thing that we need to surrender is our resistance to the process that God wants to, to use in our lives to help us deal with our issues and to become more like Jesus. So maybe that's the thing that we need to surrender to. And, and if so, I encourage you uh, with the things that we've learned together that you, you don't just check off boxes. Because again, you can walk through all of these things and never really do them but you really admit your issues. You stop managing your issues. You really get help for your issues and you do what you are told to do to deal with those issues. Then you help other people with their issues because there's something powerful that helps you with your issues when you're helping somebody else and then you really surrender to the process of working on your issues with God's help. So maybe that's what some of you need to surrender to today. But maybe... Some of you need to surrender your heart to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Again, if you've never done that, you need to know God is patient. He's waiting. He's patiently waiting on you to bow your knee, to him to bow your heart. He's pursuing you. He's loving you. He's forgiving you. He will empower you. And that's the God that we should surrender to. That's the God we should understand. That's the God we should give our lives to. So in just a moment, I'm gonna pray, and then our worship team is gonna close us in a song called Heart of God. And it's kind of a new song for us, and I've really enjoyed listening to this song over the past few weeks that I've been uh, listening to it, and Matt, our worship leader, has made me aware of it, and it's got some great elements in it. And right in the middle of this song, it talks about surrendering our heart to God. So while we're singing today, I encourage you to surrender to God in whatever way is meaningful for you. If you need to surrender against your resistance to that process, do that. If you need to surrender your heart to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I encourage you during this song, have a conversation with God. Walk through the ABC prayer of salvation. You don't have to use those words exactly. Use words that are meaningful to you. Just tell God you need him. Invite him to be your personal Lord and Savior. And if you do that, he will respond. He'll step into your life. The Holy Spirit will empower you to live a little bit more like Jesus every day and to deal with the issues that you have in your life. So again, uh, surrender to God in whatever way is meaningful to you. But what I, what I want to ask you to do is if you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior during this song, I encourage you after the service, come up and talk to me or Tim, our executive pastor, I'll be on this side. Tim will be on this side. We'd love to have a conversation with you, and we'd love to give you a gift. We've got a resource that can help you grow in your new relationship with God. And I had the privilege in the first service of speaking with one woman who came up and said, I gave my heart to Jesus today. I'm so proud of her. Welcomed her to God's family. And gave her this resource and said, this resource will help you grow and helped her understand some other things that could help her grow. 
And I want to do the same thing for you if you're putting your faith in Jesus. Now, some of you might say, you know what, I don't know that I'm ready for that, but I'd like to explore that. So if you're at a spot where you want to explore what a relationship with Jesus can look like, I invite you to come up. Talk to myself, talk to Tim. We've got another resource for you that can actually help you begin the process of exploring what a relationship with Jesus could look like in your life. So if either of those things apply to you, I invite you after our final song to come up, have a conversation with myself or with Tim. If you are watching online and if you make either of those decisions to step towards Christ, email us at info at theepicchurch.com and we will mail you those resources. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. So if you would, let's pray together. And then as we pray, um, let's start considering what we might need to surrender to God today. Let's pray. God, this issue of surrender is such a big deal to us. It's so hard for us to do this. And Lord, you know that about us. You know that we've battled that since the beginning of humanity. Lord, we don't like to surrender to to anyone or anything. And that creates issues. You also know that for us to effectively deal with our issues, we have to surrender. We have to stop fighting against the steps that can actually help us grow to become more like Jesus. And we have to surrender our heart to you, Jesus, as our personal Lord and Savior. So Lord, I just pray for us as a church family today, those on campus, those watching online, that we would surrender to you in whatever way is significant for us. Lord, some of us need, again, to surrender because we keep fighting against those things that can actually help us. Others need to surrender and invite you to be their personal Lord and Savior. So I thank you for being the kind of God that you are, a God that's loving, a God that's caring, a God that's forgiving, gracious and merciful, a God that's pursuing, a God that's personal, a God that's patient, patiently waiting for us to step into a relationship with you and and raise our hand and admit that we need that relationship with you. God, we all need to surrender something to you. I pray that we would do that today. In Jesus' name.